0: Hello Sally Moore. Uh thanks for coming on the Press Gazette podcast. Um, you're a um, senior reporter, Milton Keynes Citizen, and um, the reason we're interviewing you is um, because um, uh, nearly ten years ago now, isn't it, or ni- nine years ago, 2000, 2007, um, you were... The centre, unfortunately for you, of a notorious and uh, a notorious case that became a real touchstone, really, for, for press gazette and for and for press freedom in the UK. And um, basically, the reason I'm interviewing you is because um, the whole issue that you that you're at the centre of um, around uh, police use of surveillance against journalists has become extremely important now um, because the uh, investigatory powers bill is going through Parliament at the moment and uh, press gazette and uh, the nuj and um news media association and others are, are desperate to get some protections in there for journalist sources journalists and their sources which aren't there at the moment um so you so, see so you were you were arrested and uh and uh, put under surveillance under the 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 previous bit of legislation that that the uh, snoopers charter this new bill replaces the which was the regulation regulation of investigatory powers act and uh Really, I, I just wanted you to, if you could, give us a bit of a reminder of what happened to you, because under this uh, this this previous bit of legislation that that was passed in 2000, and at the time, uh, Jack Straw, I think it was, um, assured us this, that it would only be used against terrorists, it would only be used in um, you know to uh, to investigate serious crime, and yet in your case, we found out that it was used against someone who was just a local newspaper journalist who was speaking, who was who was speaking to. Um, sources, uh, police sources, in the normal way. So can you just remind us? Um, it's I know it's a long story, but just remind us, you know, what happened to you, so that people can understand really what's kind of at stake.
1: Well, I was just pottering around doing typical local stories, um, and in May 2007, eight police officers swooped at my home, while I think it was about eight swooped simultaneously at the office seized all my computer equipment, personal and work-based, searched my house, um, phones, laptops, took me into custody where I stayed for a couple of days, strip searched me. Um, I honestly had no idea. They said the charge was mis- mis- aiding and abetting misconduct in a public office, which was an ancient um, by-law almost, but it carried a life imprisonment. It was only. Later, when they interviewed me, which they did copious times, applied for extensions, and played me tapes, and showed me transcripts of texts uh, that I realized I had been under surveillance for about the previous eight weeks, totally ignorant of this fact. And it was just a ghastly feeling. You interview people all the time as a local paper journalist. You have burglary victims, rape victims, and they use the word violated. And I totally understand the meaning of that word now.
0: And that that surveillance that they they use the you was was pretty total, wasn't it? I mean, what were the sort of things which which they did?
1: They um, had a tape of phone conversations carried out during this six to eight week period. They had photographs of me going into my house. I think they must have had a camera. We think it was in the shed. Um, They had access to every text, text from my kids, Um, I mean this was my personal phone, I very rarely used it for work, Mm. they scoured the work computer, Um, they seized every notebook, absolutely everything right down to the back of a fag packet I'd last written notes on, Um, and basically investigated it for 19 months trying desperately to find something to justify what they did but in the meantime I was treated like a terrorist because they kind of had to justify that, but in fact the things they were investigating were absolutely <coughs> bread and butter local paper <clears throat> stuff. <clears throat> the three charges had nothing to do with terrorism or anything.
0: And and um, the crime that you were uh, suspected of committing, this aiding and abetting misconduct in a public office, I mean um, that was really, as far as we understand it, it was just sort of having unauthorized. Uh, conversations with with a police contact wasn't it I mean there was no there was no money changed hands there was nothing untoward like that was there it was literally just um, getting information which hadn't gone through the press office I suppose is that right
1: yeah I guess so but you've got to bear in mind that the police officer and I had been in a former relationship for years and we we were still best friends our children were brought up together hmm. um, yeah it, it was that but there wasn't really any evidence of it at all. But yeah, the, the accusation was that Mark Kearney was telling me unauthorised, very, very sensitive stories mm. and I was selling them onto the News of the World. So they mm. scoured my bank accounts, Mark's mm. bank account, absolutely everything and there was absolutely no evidence. The last time I'd phoned the News of the World, um, I think it had been nine years previously, when journalists then were allowed to mm. sell tip-offs and stories they still are in some places. Mm. And the stuff Mark and I were talking about, I mean, 99% of it was just domestic fluff. How's the kids, etc. Um, the stories that I was actually charged with were a local GBH, of, who committed by a footballer, yeah. um, a murder of a local man who, um, there was a link to cannabis. He was quite well known. His wife was the secretary of the then MP, Phyllis Starkey. Mm which um, I think the government had something to do with it because in the police disclosure, mm. they said, uh, this we didn't want this story to come out because it would have been embarrassing to the government, um, according to Phyllis Starkey. Well, sorry, um, a guy's been murdered. Yeah. He had a hydroponic cannabis factory in his house and he was murdered over a drug debt and he'd previously served a 10-year prison sentence in France mm. for smuggling in hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of drugs Mm. which i'd written about so the stories were not only in the public domain they were in the public interest and indeed that helped the case be flattened but what is so scary is that they were allowed to authorize this massive power of seizure arrest surveillance under reaper for such trivial stuff
0: You, you were first arrested may 2007 uh, so nine, about 19 months later, we get you, you come to court in Kingston, didn't you? And then, uh, you know, thankfully, obviously not, not before time, and after you'd been through 19 months of complete and utter hell, um, the trial collapsed, didn't it? I mean, what, what were the reasons yeah. for that? What were the reasons for it? The, um because
1: the, pli- the police have not um, followed the um, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, Article ten, human rights, and they haven't there should be a very special procedure for journalists. You know, it should be in exceptional cases. They'd abused it, the judge said all the stories were in the public interest, public domain. I was a journalist, I was right to protect my sources, and it collapsed on the basis of that. And this is my biggest worry that this snoopers charter will enable the the police, the state to just do this to loads more journalists, and I wonder what would have happened had it been brought in before my case.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I mean, and that's the sort of the sort of big concern, really, isn't it? So, um, uh, yeah, the, the uh, yeah Snoopers Charter Investigatory Powers Bill. I mean, it has all these powers that we use against you in it. That's that's where they all are, and really, um, there's nothing or well, there's very little in there about journalism at the moment. And I guess um, it's um, you know, in your case, fortunately, um, uh, the judge finally saw sense. But you know, very late on, and by that stage, um, I guess um, the damage had been done, hadn't it? As far as you, as far as you were concerned, that
1: um, yeah, emotionally, and the damage between uh, uh, the relationship between police and journalists generally. But he, you know, primarily the case dropped because it was felt the police had, mis- had misused their powers, wrongly used their powers. If this charter's passed, will it condone the use of those powers? And could journalists be be sent to prison?
0: Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what what are your what are your feelings now about about this as it, as it goes through um, through Parliament? And what's the sort of um, you know the message you like to get out there in terms of the concerns that you have as someone who's who's been subject to this sort of surveillance?
1: It absolutely terrifies me, Dominic, mm. and. I know what I went through, and I'm no wimp, but you saw me at that time. Mm. I think you're vouched for how it just destroyed everything, my life, my family, my kids, everything. I just think everybody who cares about journalism, whether they're a journalist or not, must sign this petition Mm. and just circulate it around the world. This has to be stopped. Mm. It has to be stopped. It's the death knell for journalism, for freedom of speech. The relationship between journalists and police is already so atrocious that we are basically they treat us like a PR department. Mm. We are allowed to know the same information as the public. We're not encouraged to investigate. This will just ruin everything and you are so right to try to stop it.
0: Yeah so this is the Press Gazette petition which I think you signed and I hope that many more people do sign just um, basically saying that um you know please let's get an amendment through which says uh, you know use these powers for sure against terrorists serious criminals but don't use them against law-abiding journalists like you or or me and so what what now i mean uh you know nine years on i mean i remember at the time you were questioning whether or not you'd go back into journalism was it tough to go back into journalism after after everything for a while you were questioning whether or not to do it weren't you
1: yeah, yeah. the company was great. I mean, it's just a little local paper, Dominic. I've yeah. never worked outside Milton Keynes. It's yeah. actually been 41 years now working the same patch. Yeah. Um, I was encouraged to come back. It's fine. I still cannot walk into a police station. Yeah. Um, I never went to collect all my seized phones, computers, laptops, even the work computer I couldn't face going back. I will do police stories, but they terrify me and that is crazy um, yeah it's affected me badly but I am still working more or less and <laughs> functioning normally as a journalist and enjoying it and feeling passionately about this
0: yeah and do you take any precautions any sort of special special precautions now in terms of uh, technology and uh, you know sources and so on
1: oh god to the point where people will probably think I'm crazy I um, My phone is a seven-year-old Nokia that doesn't even have a camera, mm. let alone internet access. Mm. I just send texts and calls. Um, I don't really talk on the phone much. Um, I have a really basic la- laptop at home with really no facilities to do anything at all apart from write on and look at emails and stuff. I go through my Google history after every use and delete it. It's such paranoia. But having sat there for 12 hours, time and time again in interview, and heard texts, read out to me, texts from my daughter saying, Mummy, what time are you going to pick me up today? Just that feeling of violation that they can go in and just analyse every single thing, not just about your work. We're a different person, different people when we're at work. But your private life. And having it just laid out in disclosure documents of hundreds of pages it's not good so yeah i'm paranoid i'm an absolute technophobe i i don't even keep notebooks i destroy them which is probably against the law
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's that's cautious though and the um here's the final thing really um so 9 years on I remember you know the time you telling us the, all the things you went through I think what I think you were held for 19 hours at one point weren't you and yeah. uh, strip search and all sorts of terrible things happened to you and uh, did you get ever get any uh, apology or uh, look at compensation or, or anything from you know Thames Valley police police any comeback any any acknowledgement that maybe they got it wrong <laughs>
1: No, <laughs> I at the time I just felt it would be filthy money, and I didn't want to. Uh, I couldn't face another court battle. I think a, re, a polite request was made by the barrister. Look, can we talk compensation? They said no. We've absolutely done nothing wrong, even though they had misused Reaper. Yeah. Um, a few years later, about two or three years later, there was a steady stream of prosecutions from Woodhill Prison, which is where they reckon the leaks were from, mm. and they, that was the reason for my arrest. Um, which is quite a heavy terrorist prison. Mm. And they they prosecuted, I think, four or five other prison members and had direct proof that they would sold stories to the nationals. Mm. Um, so I did go back about four or five years ago and said, look, you've done all these prosecutions. Some of these stories that you're talking about selling, it was um, the Sower murders, et yeah. cetera, yeah. because uh, Huntley was in Woodhill. You accused me of an interview. Now you've admitted that yeah. it wasn't me by arresting someone else can we talk compensation they just said you're too late you need to make a special case to the ipc which i did yeah. and no it was refused and so i thought you know what i just need to get on with my life
0: yeah yeah great well it's good to see you doing that sally and uh, brilliant great to speak to you again and thanks for supporting the petition
1: thank you Dominic.
0: okay cheers <laughs>